Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 62 of the Lunch Learn podcast with yours truly, Dr. Barry. And today we're bringing you an amazing episode with Dr. Nicole Washington, who is a board certified psychiatrist, speaker, author, mother, and most importantly, she works with high level professionals with mental health disorders who are stuck in their life. Uh, through her telemedicine practice and coaching program, she provides psychiatric services and tailored coaching to meet the needs of the busy professional lunch and learn community. I sit back. This is going to be another amazing episode. Like always, if you want today's show notes, head over to drprsblog.com forward slash LLP062 or lunchlearnpod.com. And like always, remember, all of our lessons is to help empower you for better health tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen of the Lunch Learn community, I have Dr. Nicole Washington joining us on the podcast this week. And first of all, I want you guys to kind of take your time. If you got if you got to get a chance, you got to write something down. Uh, it's going to be a lot of learning, a lot of educating during this podcast. And I hope you guys are excited as I am. And Dr. Washington, uh, Dr. Nicole, before I start, I just want to kind of give a little background of you know why. Uh, you're here today, right? And why, you know, you are a very, especially your specialty was a very requested one. Um, I've had quite a few mental health professionals on the podcast kind of give their their point of view, especially when it comes to mental health, when it comes to medication, uh, when it comes to patient education. But a very common underlying theme between them, right, was like, well, you know, we just wish you physicians would do better, right? Like, it's always usually like, so, you know, if your doctors would do much better. If your doctors would talk, if your doctors would listen, right, uh, they wouldn't need to come to us, right? So I said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I got to get a mental health professional who's a physician who's going to, like, straighten up and, and please uh, kind of educate the masses on, you know, the importance, right, of a psychiatrist, right? Like, I think we see a lot of things on TV, we hear a lot of things on the books. We hear a lot of hearsay. Um, but I think one of the most things that I, I notice, especially especially in the African-American community, is uh, mental health is still taboo. And not only have a mental health professional who's a physician, who's also African-American, like all of these things, like they're usually not seeing. So first of all, again, I'm, I'm thankful, right, that uh, you're on the podcast this week and excited that you're going to enlighten us. So I'm doing a lot of talking. Dr. Nicole, please kind of explain to the community, talk to the community, and uh, just tell them who you are, right? Let's just start off right there. All right. Well, I'm Dr. Nicole Washington. I am a board-certified psychiatrist. Uh, I've worn a lot of hats over the years, and I've fluctuated between treating the most severely ill uh, in the community with mental illness and I, you know, now focus on high level professionals. So I've, I've treated everyone from the homeless person under the bridge who's talking to himself to the lawyer down the street. So uh, I have a, a lot of experience with a wide range of mental health disorders. I actually became a psychiatrist for some of the reasons you were talking about. I grew up in the deep south, in the urban area. Mm-hmm. Well, strange white people are problems kind of mentality. Um, and it was true that even in my medical school training, I didn't see a lot of mental health uh, professionals of color. I didn't see a lot of doctors of color, period. 
but I especially didn't see people in the mental health field uh, of color. And I thought, you know, I'm a firm believer that the face of medicine should reflect the face of the population. Talk it, talk it. (laughs) I think that it's important to have, you know, diversity in every area of medicine, um, which was one of the things that drew me to psychiatry. Plus the fact that psychiatry is still that final frontier that we just really, the brain is still a mystery to us. I think we have very little ability to know why is it that two people can go through the exact same trauma and only one of them develop PTSD or how is it that a person can go through their high school years and be a straight A student and be on track to be this highly successful person and then they end up with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And, and, you know, why does that happen to that person, but not the other person? So there's still a lot of unanswered questions in psychiatry. And it, it was appealing to me uh, as a specialty. How, how tough was it while you're doing your training, uh, not seeing, you know, people who look like you, uh, whether it be in, in the sense of trying to train you or even in the, the treatment of? You know, when I did my residency, I was the only person of color in the residency and um, I didn't have any attendings who, you know, I could relate to on that level. It, it was it was kind of up to me to go find mentors elsewhere and other specialties um, because that was important. Um, and I actually found that I became a voice for patients who I felt like I could that I could be a voice for. I mean, I'm not saying that every black patient can relate, can only relate to a black doctor, but there were definitely situations where I felt like I had a, a deeper understanding of, of a patient because of the fact that we spoke the same language and we grew up in a similar area and, and I could relate to them on a level that not a lot of my colleagues could. And it, it was, it was easier for me to connect uh, with those patients. I think that's important, especially when when I was an outpatient physician and, you know, I could almost see and even inpatient uh, in the hospital, I could almost see my patient's eyes kind of light up. Right. When that when I turn the corner and they see, oh, oh, my, my physician's black. Like, oh, OK. All right. So like you could tell, especially when it comes to especially in your case where, you know, taking a good history is probably everything. When just talking to the patient, if they have any apprehension whatsoever, um, it's going to be difficult to treat. And if you can just break down just one barrier where, you know what, this person kind of looks like me, same skin color, maybe went through the same issues I went through. I'm going to open up a little bit more. I think that goes a long way. And first of all, I I definitely we're going to talk about that importance of being able to treat the homeless all the way up to uh, the law professional, the, the high level earners, right? Because I think there's this very huge misconception that, you know, once you get up there, uh, whether it be in stature, whether it be in financial um, uh, stability, uh, that all of a sudden mental health uh, isn't something you have to deal with, right? So we'll definitely kind of talk uh, on that kind of later on in the show. What are what are some things, especially, again, I'm, I'm turning on this episode and I'm listening to you and I say, you know, why would I go see a psychiatrist, right? Like, how would you answer that question? Like, what what are some of the things that I would go see a psychiatrist for? You can come see a psychiatrist for depression, anxiety. Uh, You could be going through a short-term thing. So say you're a physician who is in the middle of a really ugly malpractice case and you need a short-term treatment. Um, I think a lot of people think of psychiatry as I'm going to get in there and I'm going to be in it for the long haul and I'm going to be taking meds and in therapy forever. And sometimes that's just not. (laughs) 
So you can be, you know, an attorney who has a really tough case they're dealing with. And especially in those fields where you can't openly talk about what's going on with you and what's going on with a tough case, or you had a bad outcome as a surgeon or whatever that looks like. Sometimes you need somebody that you can talk to who's a neutral, who's a third party, somebody who's not emotionally invested in the process, somebody who and you can just bounce ideas off of and, and get things from. The benefit of a psychiatrist is, you know, I can prescribe medication and I can do psychotherapy. So I can, I can handle both of those areas. Uh, psychiatry residency programs uh, have to have their trainees do a certain amount of psychotherapy training to be able to graduate a residency. And some programs, you know, admittedly do a little more than others. I was fortunate to have trained at a place that um, had a very strong psychotherapy training. So when you say psychotherapy, like what, what, what does that mean? Psychotherapy is talk therapy. It's, it's, you know, going to someone, whether it's weekly or every two weeks or however often we determine uh, to talk through whatever the problem is. So psychotherapy can be everything from we're going to focus on how things that happened to you 20 years ago affect how you see the world now. Um, we may just focus on the now and maybe you say, hey, I just really want to figure out these panic attacks and get past them and get through them and beyond them and not have them anymore. We can focus on that. and We don't have to always go back to all of the deepest, darkest things that happened in childhood. So it just really depends on, you know, what it is that person needs at the moment. And sometimes it changes. You may start off with one type of therapy and you transition to another. Um, the important thing is that, you know, whoever you're seeing, that it's somebody you can relate to, uh, you're paying for it, and you should. Um, I think most people are more likely to, uh, you know, we will we will hunt people down in the grocery store if they have a really nice hairstyle that we like, and we'll find out who does their hair and what kind of products they use, and we'll do all these things, but we don't always do that same kind of vetting for our physicians and especially our so um, I just always encourage people to find the right person for you. Um, and if you happen to think that medication may be something you need down the road and seeing a psychiatrist would be, uh, you know, a reason, that'd be a reason to go with a psychiatrist above maybe going uh, to just see a therapist. Now, so, now go on, especially when we talk about medications. Um, actually, this was a user question uh, from a uh, listener to Lunch and Learn community. Also another podcast host. I tell who asked, like, how do psychiatrists, like, know what medication to choose from? There's so many different types of medications out there. Like, how do you know, like, this one medication is going to work for the patient who's in front of you? Right. So we don't, we don't always know 100% what's going to work. I can, I can do what I think may work. Um, but when I look at a class of uh, medication, let's look at uh, SSRI antidepressants, for example. So there's, there's several of them. Right. We, we've heard of them all. They've been around for years. We know a lot of the names that we hear. So if I have a person sitting in front of me, one of the first things I'm going to focus on is what have they tried before? Because I don't want to give them something that they've tried before and either didn't like it or it failed. Um, I'm interested in cost for sure. Right. Because I, I feel like, you know, there's no need to go to the most sexiest, most expensive drug we can. Mm -hmm. We can something that's tried and true and generic and let's see how you do with that. I mean, I, I think that's super important. So, so you mean you don't like just prescribe medications because the new commercial is out and it's telling them like, go ask your doctor about this one right here. No. 
I use a lot of old drugs still. I like old drugs. (laughs) I like them a lot. Um, Personally, for my own medical issues, I take generic drugs because I think they're fantastic. So, um, you know, we look at cost. It's very important because I also know that sometimes even though you have insurance, cost is still important, right? A $35 copay versus a $10 copay can be a huge difference for Um, So, you know, I take that into consideration. Another thing I might look at is family history. So if I have a patient sitting in front of me and they say, hey, my brother or sister or mom uh, had depression and they took drug A and it worked really well for them, I might try that because we have some evidence to suggest that uh, drugs may work in families. So maybe there's something about that family's genetic makeup that will make them, you know, their metabolizer at a certain place to make them suitable for a certain drug versus another. Um, And you get buy-in because taking psych medications are scary, right? People don't get afraid to take blood pressure medicine. You can give them a different one every week and they just take it and they don't ask a lot of questions. hmm. But when it comes to psychiatric medication, you get all the, I don't know about that. Am I going to be a zombie? Is it going to zonk me out? I don't want to be impaired. Um, So there's buy-in also. If I know that my mom did well on something, I'm automatically going to go into that with a better attitude about it. Um, So I look at that. We also look at side effect profile. If I have a person who, you know, really needs some, there's not sleeping well and they're depressed, I may give them something that's also a little sedating and have them take it at night um, in order to kind of kill two birds with one stone. So we look at a lot of different uh, things. We also look at if they take other medication that might interact with uh, you know, that particular antidepressant. So I don't want to give somebody something that's going to interact with one of their medications for whether it's their heart disease or diabetes or something. Like that. That's, uh, that's great. And I, I want to definitely want to pick tail on two things. First of all, I always, but lunch learning community, um, if y'all actually took the time to read what the side effect of aspirin, what the side effect of Tylenol, uh, I don't think y'all would take any medication but for some reason, you, when you start talking about taking a medication for depression, anxiety, and those things like that, all of a sudden, you know, they want to be an, an encyclopedia enthusiast. You know, they're reading every single thing. And even, and, and I always tell my lunch learning community, especially when I did outpatient medicine, that they could screen a million people. If it happened to one person, they have to list it as a side effect. So just because you read it, that's a side effect. Don't mean it's likely going to happen to you. But I, I, I'm pretty sure you get it all the time where all of a sudden they're, you know, they're the detectives and they want to know every single thing that possibly could happen. But you're right. They'll take that blood pressure medication with no problem. They'll take that cholesterol medication with no problem. Uh, a thyroid medication. They take all these different medications with no problem and don't even think about it. Um, how do you feel? All right. And then. Obviously, there's not a lot of psychiatrists out there, I guess, to obviously to take care of everyone who needs it. What, what do you feel about physicians such as uh, family medicine physicians, internists, uh, you know, your primary care general practitioners who prescribe these types of medications? Well, I think they have to. I mean, I, I don't think there's much of a choice. And I, and I don't think that I don't think that a primary care doctor is in over their head just because they're treating anxiety or depression. Right. I think that's I think that's very appropriate, um, especially in areas where there's a shortage and you can't get someone in. Um, I do think, though, you know, the the one thing that I see, I do a lot of education. So I love teaching. And one of the things I do love doing is is talking to other other disciplines of physicians about uh, psychiatric disorders. Because I believe if 
we do a lot of that education, it can take away some of the anxiety. I mean, most physicians, if you think about it, we're as, we're as across the board smart in medicine our intern year, right? <laughs> we are as across the board smart. Not that we're not smart years later, but that intern year, we are still pretty solid on most areas of medicine. So we can we can have a conversation, you know, I could treat the heck out some blood pressure. I could, you know, I could treat somebody's diabetes, but I've been a special, I've been a psychiatrist for a very long time. So I, I don't keep up with blood pressure drugs and new and, you know, news things that are going on in the world are treating diabetes and heart because that's not my world. Um, I can tell you all about depression and schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, but I can't tell you a whole lot about new drugs for heart disease or for blood pressure. So I think the unfortunate part is, uh, one, primary care doctors don't get a lot of training in mental health treatment, but they're expected to treat. So, you know, for a you know, I used to tell my medical students when I was in, in academics, they would have a six week psych rotation and I would tell them, you know, you, you might not want to do psych and you might think, oh, I can't believe I have to do psych. But this may be all you get from a from a standpoint of going to learn about psychiatry and I'm going to use it because you will absolutely use it. And there's no area of medicine you can go into and not have to deal with people with mental illness. So. Um, you know, the, the training part, I think, is not there for the expectation. So the expectation is that primary care doctors are going to have to treat all this stuff. Um, but the training is not always there. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, and I also, you know, I also think that primary care doctors are busy. So you're in an outpatient clinic and you have 20 minutes if you're lucky. Um, but you aren't, you aren't just covering the depression, right? If I see someone for 20 minutes, oh, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I'm just covering depression. If you see somebody for 20 minutes, you're covering the diabetes, the weight gain, the, you know, third left toe that tingles, you're mm-hmm. <laughs> everything and their mental health stuff. So, you know, it's difficult. And I, I don't think that primary care doctors shouldn't have to or shouldn't be able to. I just think we have to have, you know, better training and better expectations for them. And I think you you hit it right on the money where you said there's you there's usually there's not a profession there's not especially especially in medicine right that you're not gonna run across someone who has a mental health issue like it's just it just isn't whether you're a surgeon a cardiologist an OB gyn an internist pediatrician uh, the mental health just carries and I I agree with you um, we're definitely not trained to the level we should be trained. And I, I almost found it kind of shocking um, where I where I did my training. Uh, we actually had a psych facility connected to our hospital. So we had to take care of a lot of patients with mental health issues because, you know, they they happen to have their blood pressure was hired. So you could we had, you know, kind of firsthand experience at least dealing with those patients. But I know that's not really common for a lot of people, especially during their training. And when I remember with going out and you know, my patient is on all these anxiety medications, depressing medications, and they want me to refill it, or they want me to increase it, or they want me to change it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. And I'm in South Florida, right? There's, you throw a rock, you're going to hit some physician's office. But that don't mean that they're going to be able to see their physician next week when they really need their medication. Uh, sometimes it may be a week, sometimes maybe two weeks. Or so I think you hit it right on the money, uh, especially in, and you know, I take it right on the head as a physician, uh, as an internist, uh, we definitely have to be better trained at just treating and dealing and educating ourselves 
uh, in, in regards to mental health and um, all, everything that it encompasses. Right. One of the newer things that is, I think we will see coming down the pike is these collaborative models um, and the collaborative models have a, you know, they, they function under the understanding that as a psychiatrist, I can only treat so many patients, but I can have an impact in your outpatient primary care practice on a larger level if I'm not expected to see all of the patients that you want me to see. So maybe it's more of a, I come in as a consultant, we review so many charts a week. Uh, you know, and I'm able to give you pointers. So not necessarily seeing those patients, but I can say, hey, yeah, you know, you're doing okay with this one, but you might want to increase that one antidepressant, you know, let's, let's max it out before we try something else. Next, you should consider this, this, and this, just to, to give you a little more comfort and to help. With some, so some of those models, I think we'll see uh, become much more popular in just to, to kind of help close that gap that we have between primary care in psychiatry, because let's face it, there are a lot of people who will go to their primary care doctor to get their mental health needs taken care of, but they really are embarrassed to go to the actual psychiatrist's office. So it will close that gap. Leslie community, if you could see my, <laughs> my face right now, I'm just shaking my head because I'm like, oh, like you got no problem for me to treat your depression and to talk to me about your depression. But then I suggest, I just, I don't even say I'm going to, I just make the suggestion. Hey, you know what? You probably might need to see psychiatrist. And then they just, you know, that, that stigma, like that, that kind of rushes uh, to the, to that forefront. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't need a psychiatrist. I'm okay. Uh, and, and I said, that's usually the phrase I hear. I'm okay. I don't need a I'm not crazy. I hear that a lot. I'm not crazy. Yeah. And how, how do you deal with that? Especially because by the time they get to you, right, like at, at least they fought off some of those misconceptions to at least break that barrier. But I'm pretty sure you still find people who are apprehensive when you first see them or talk to them. They are. They are. And I, I can I mean, this has been an ongoing issue. I can think of, you know, being in a hospital setting, even as a resident, you know, years ago and you walk into a room because that, that doctor asked for a psych consult and you walk in and the person is completely offended that you're even there in the first place. So. Uh, learning to have that conversation about how, you know, having depression or anxiety doesn't make you crazy. I don't use that word, you know. Um, I don't use that word, you know, when it refers to people who are struggling with some kind of mental health issue. Uh, So, you know, we kind of try to get that out of the way. But the other thing we talk about is how that depression or anxiety or whatever it is, whatever reason your doctor asks us to come see you, sometimes those issues can interfere with you being able to function as well as you could or interfere with your ability to manage your diabetes or your, or your diet or your, you know, whatever it is. Um, I mean, your personal life, your work Mm -hmm. life, Mm -hmm. all of these things just keeps, keeps seeping in there for, for the person who feels like, you know what, if you go to psychiatrist, you know, they're going to, all they're going to do is give you medications, right? Like, what do you say to people? Like, cause this is, that's another thing I hear like, oh, they're just going to give me a whole bunch of medications. They're not going to talk to me. Like, what, what do you say for those type of people? Yeah, so I, I love talking to my patients. I I am not a psychiatrist who believes that everybody who has depression needs medication. I don't believe that everybody who has anxiety uh, needs medication. I think that therapy can be a very effective treatment for some people's depression and some people's anxiety. I do think there are illnesses like bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia that I do believe those people do. I feel very strongly that those uh, people who suffer with those illnesses do need medication. So, so you say we can't we can't pray it, 
we can't pray it down and pray it away. Is that what you say on the lunch and community? We, we can't. I don't. I don't. I do not believe that we can pray our bipolar disorder, our schizophrenia away. Now, but with depression, there are some milder forms of depression and anxiety that a person can have, and they can learn techniques and learn to kind of combat negative thinking that they do uh, and things like that to help. But if you have had severe depressions in the past severe that interfered with your functioning, that led to suicidal thoughts, that you ended up in the hospital over. Those people, I might push to take medication because I don't want them to end up spiraling down like they were before. So if you have a history of more severe mood episodes, I'm probably going to push it. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer in letting giving people a chance to work on it without medication because I think that's important. And it also depends on exactly what is going on that's leading to the depression and the anxiety. I mean, I tell people all the time, sometimes life deals us a bad hand and tell people, you know, I can give you medicine until you are in the corner drooling and wetting your pants, but it's not going to change the fact that when you go home, you still have to face all those things that you have to face. So I'm not a believer that medicine is the end all be all, or that it's going to solve every problem that you have, because there are other issues to work on that medicine can't touch. For, for for the patients you take care of, how what what's a good I guess frequency to see them? Like I know when I'm taking care of a patient with blood pressure, you know I might you know I might adjust the blood pressure medication. But if you're stable, I say hey, see you in three months. Uh, but in the, in the in the mental health, especially the psychiatrist, right? Is there a good is there a good time to see them? Is there is it too? Can you see a person too much? Like how how do you kind of judge uh, like how often this person should be you know back on your you know quote unquote your couch right it's it's pretty standard that if you see someone for the first time brand new and you start medication you would want to see them back in two to four weeks that's a pretty standard let's just check back in let's see how we're doing uh, most people will see their psychiatrist especially in the beginning around month so that's a fairly reasonable time frame to see somebody monthly once they start to have significant improvement of that mood disorder or that anxiety disorder or whatever disorder is being treated, you can spread them out every other month, every three months. Um, some psychiatrists won't see anybody, you know, more infrequent than every three months. And there are some who will let some folks go to six months. We want to check in with our people. But now on the flip side, if I have somebody who's really struggling and I'm worried about their safety and I'm worried about functioning. I might see them every two weeks for a while so we can get them back on track, uh, you know, and get things better and be a little bit more aggressive. And, and let's learn community. I want y'all to know when, when they, when she says she's going to see me every two weeks, they say like when you see me in the office, right? You see me in the office, it's probably going to be about 15 minutes, 20 minutes max. If you, you know what, if, if we can get through it, uh, you know, you're going to have good, long, in-depth discussion. Uh, which is psychiatrist, right? So again, I definitely want to make sure we stress that that this ain't a fifteen minute appointment that you in and out the door. Um, you, like, how long? I guess that's a good question. How long is there? Is there a too long to talk to a person? Like, I feel again, especially in my world, I probably couldn't talk to a person more than forty five minutes because you know someone would be like, "Hey, Barry, we got like three other people in the, in the other rooms waiting for you to come see them." It is pretty common for a therapy visit to be about 45, 50 minutes. That, that's a pretty standard for a therapy visit. Um, although there are some people who really are not at a place where they can handle a 45 to 50 minute therapy session. You mm -hmm. may be able to do about 30 minutes because sometimes it's really tough for some folks. So they may not get that long. Um, as far as medication checks, it really just depends on the environment that you're in. 
It is not, unfortunately, uncommon if you're in a practice setting where you, you know, where your your appointment times are given to you and you don't have any control over that, um, that you could only have about 20 minutes to see your psychiatrist. And that, you know, is one of those things that may be something you ask about when you call to schedule appointments. You know, what is what how how long do I get? You know, what is the appointment time? Mm-hmm. Do I get because sometimes physicians are told how how little time they will get with someone oh, yes. in areas where there's a shortage and you're trying to see more people. Uh, so you may have a 20 minute visit. Um, and for some people that may be just fine. You know, a, a 20 minute, Hey, I'm doing okay. My meds are working. I'm great. You know, hit the high points um, and we can get you moving along. But there are some times where people need longer. And so you want to be able to figure out what happens in those situations for you. And those are good questions to ask up front. So let's let's kind of veer off. Let's let's talk about the population you serve right now. We kind of addressed it a little bit earlier, um, but who are some of the the types of people that you're taking care of uh, at this moment? I am taking care of high achieving type A, <laughs> type <laughs> a people, uh, which is very different. Um, I've always taken care of severely ill people with schizophrenia and illnesses like that, and now I've gone to the to the opposite end. Um, so I take care of really just people who function at, at the top of their game. So we're talking physicians and lawyers and accountants and, you know, mm-hmm. people who, who are, who are high functioning people. They have careers. Uh, they went to school for a long time. These are really driven people, um, who sometimes find themselves in a place where, you know, they need a little help. Um, you mean, you mean they're not all happy and go no, lucky? no, they're not. And, you know, I, 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 as far as, you know, happiness and, you know, nobody's happy all the time. So that is one thing I have to remind people of, because I do think that people sometimes think, you know, they should be happy all the time. But sometimes things happen. You shouldn't be happy. You shouldn't be OK. You're allowed to not be OK. Um, you know, I don't care who you are. In um, my population, uh, sometimes uh, they have a really hard time not being OK. Because they're used to being OK and they're mm-hmm. used to at really high levels. So, it, you know, I don't know any doctor who says, well, it's okay if I'm off my game today, or it's okay if I have a, you know, an off day. We think that we should be functioning at 100% every single day. I, 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 I joke, like half jokingly, right, and say that, especially as a physician, uh, we're one of the few professions where we're required to be correct 100% of the time. And and reason being, especially I'm in a, I'm in a, I work in a hospital now. I'm a, I'm a hospitalist. Reason being is that if I'm incorrect on someone's grandmother, on someone's grandfather, on someone's daughter, sister, like that could be life or death. And and that's something I got to wake up to every single day. Like every single day, I know my goal is to get out the hospital without a decision I make uh, harming somebody. So. And again, I stress it, especially from a lunch learning community that, you know, it, it looks good, right? It looks good on TV, right? Like all of the stuff that you see physicians have. But like when you think about some of the stressors that they got to deal with on a constant basis and, uh, you know, be berated uh, with this uh, bar that we unfortunately, I, I think, sometimes set for ourselves and sometimes set too high. And then we got to keep jumping it every single day. Uh, that, that's definitely something that could easily uh, play a toll on uh, someone's mental. And if you're not well, 
mentally, then you're more likely to make those mistakes that you don't want to make, which is even more of a reason why as physicians or any any profession that you, you know, you have people that are relying upon you for results, um, that it's important that you make sure you're as well as you uh, can possibly be. Um, and a lot of physicians are not seeking treatment because, you know, especially in areas where you're recognizable or, you know, I live in a, in a big, small city or a small, big city, I guess they call it, um, where you can get from one end to the other in half an hour, right? Mm. Uh, which, is, which is great. But it also means that if I go to see a psychiatrist or a therapist, I could run into one of my patients in the lobby. Oh, yes. Stigma is real. So, you know, a patient could be there and then see me there and think, ooh, Dr. Washington seeing a psychiatrist. Something's wrong with her. I don't know that I want her to be my doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the office person might see you or, you know, you just never know. So uh, that was one of, you know, the things that really sparked me into jumping into this patient population is because I know that we're not necessarily attending to, to our mental health because we're concerned about stigma. That's a huge part of it. So, so, so tell, so tell us, tell the lunch learning community, tell us about uh, from introspection to action, right? Like what uh, was the the goal and what was the thought process behind it? So it it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about how sometimes we think that because we function at such high levels, we're immune to having to deal with mental health issues. And I think that sometimes when you function on a high level, you can have a certain level of impairment and still kind of function. Um, And so you will then convince yourself that you don't need to deal with it because, well, I'm still doing okay, And you may be doing okay, which is fine, unless you could be doing great. So if I can't be doing great, doing okay is not okay. Uh, And I know we sometimes will give ourselves the leeway to just kind of do okay for a while when we don't have to. So I, I do know that there are a lot of professionals like that. And one of the biggest reasons that made me you know, take this on is when I, when I had my daughter, she's 12 and some change now, but when I gave birth to her, um, I ended up back in the hospital a few days postpartum uh, with a postpartum cardiomyopathy. So I had a heart thing going on and, you know, fluid in my lungs and things like that. And so um, I ended up in the hospital a week postpartum. I had a pacemaker put in and I wasn't even 30. So that was huge. That was a huge blow. You know, I was in that postpartum period, which is a, a mess of a time anyway for us ladies. And then you throw in the fact that here I'm away from my kiddo, my newborn, and I had a four year old and I found out I had some strange heart thing that my heart stops beating while I'm asleep. And then I had a pacemaker put in and I thought, oh, my gosh. And so when I got home from that, I had the most horrible panic attacks. It just they were horrible. And I was a mess. and I would not go see somebody because at the time I was a psychiatry resident and I thought I might have to work with them. They might, you know, tell somebody. <laughs> so, so, the st- so the same stigmas that right. are out there, it's hitting you like fast right. right in the face. Right. So fortunately for me, because I trained at a program that I learned uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, I was able to use those techniques on myself. Um, I did. <laughs> I was able to kind of therapy myself, and I and I did make it through that period. But over the years, I've run into colleagues, a colleague struggling with something, and just very hesitant about doing something about it. So this book was more about people taking a look in, doing a little self assessment, and then thinking, okay, what do I need to do to to move into action? 
everybody who reads this book is not going to go, oh my gosh, I need to see a psychiatrist. You know, some of us may learn that we just need to take better care of ourselves because we don't, because we spend so much time taking care of everybody else that we, we lose focus of ourselves. You know, some of us may find that, oh my gosh, I have this functional addiction I'm working with and I've been in denial about it. Some of us may realize, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, But it doesn't mean that a year from now, they won't have a period where they aren't doing well and they may have to go back and revisit some of the principles in that book. So people will get a wide range of of results from the book, but hopefully the book will give everybody just that, that time to kind of look at themselves, think about how well they really are doing and then deciding what steps they need to take next. And once you learn community, I will have a link to her book in the show notes, as always. Um, th- thank you for telling that story, especially uh, with the postpartum, especially, and that's a, a time frame. Um, and I probably should get OB on here just to talk about how difficult uh, that is, especially from a mental health perspective. Uh, and you, you said it right on the head. This is a time where, you know, you want to be with your baby and you can't. And, and your fit. This is and this is someone that you've been attached to at the hip for nine months, maybe, and some change, and all of a sudden it's pulled away from you. Uh, so you can you can definitely see, especially from a, a, a mental health toll, just how just that aspect uh, could play a role. Especially when we talk about cardiomyopathy, we had Dr. Mike on here talking about just heart disease and understanding that this is an issue that happened because you got pregnant. Nothing else. Not because you had high blood pressure, not because you had high cholesterol, just because you got pregnant, you ended up with a heart uh, condition. And so, again, so this is why every time I, you know, I see uh, pregnant women, I, you know, I just send a prayer. I say, please just, you know, be good, like be good for that nine months. And hopefully everything turns out because I, I know as a guy, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I know we don't we definitely take for granted, uh, you know, the stress that baby be putting in on y'all. Uh, so. Again, uh, th- thank you for telling that story. And now, would you say that's kind of kind of led you to, you know, the, the, this this discussion? Because I, I was on the website uh, and, and I saw that, you know, you're a speaker. And, and especially when it comes to mental health and pregnancy, like, is that uh, kind of a driving force for you? Or were you always interested in that? I've actually always been interested in that. Um, even before I had this kid. So even as a resident, I enjoy taking care of pregnant psychiatric patients, which, you know, most people run from those young ladies because they're difficult to deal with. But I've always enjoyed taking care of, of that group. Um, and I, I think the reason I enjoy it the most is because um, it can be such a scary time for them. And sometimes they just need somebody to just listen and to just say, yes, I know it's very difficult, but let's talk about this rationally. Like, let's step back. Let's take a step back and let's talk about the pros and cons and let's not let our emotions overcome us and let's make, you know, make a hasty decision. A lot of people's first thought is to just stop all meds. Let's not do treatment because, you know, I'm pregnant, right? My perfect world, that, that, sounds, that sounds like a reasonable thing to do. But what we what we don't always think about is the fact that we know that kiddos who are born to depressed moms uh, tend to have lower birth weight. Uh, they tend to be fussier, not necessarily crying more, but just fussier babies. Sometimes moms have, you know, if, if a mom is super depressed and not eating and not caring for herself and she has fluctuations in 
you know, cortisol levels because of anxiety or depression, that can affect this fetus that's living inside of us. And so untreated depression in a mom can affect that baby. So yes, it is true that medication, you know, can affect the baby also, but also not treating can also affect the baby. Be able to think about, you know, that as well. And even once the baby gets here, you know, if mom is depressed, she's probably going to have trouble bonding with that baby. Um, and, and that's huge. You know, we, we need to get moms bonding with babies as soon as possible. And so, you know, untreated depression, anxiety. And we know that those kids who are raised with moms who are depressed and anxious are more likely to be depressed and anxious themselves. So, you know, we definitely want to consider all of those things when we have a lady sitting in front of us who's who has a history of depression and who's pregnant. And, you know, I think that's so that's such a big thing, especially because I know in the field where you're dealing with these, you know, high you know, level earners, these type A, um, you know, type personalities where for a lot of them, they almost can sometimes see pregnancy, just the thought of pregnancy as almost being a deterrent, especially when we talk about the career uh, where, uh, you know, I have a lot of my colleagues who put it off uh, during medical school and say, no, 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 I got to. I got to get to this residency. No, no, no. I got to finish this residency first. No, no, no. I got to finish this fellowship first. Uh, so for them, you know, uh, from at least from what I can see, I see uh, that they, it almost seems like, all right, is this going to be a roadblock? And, you know, we don't need anything extra uh, to put any mental stress on this. So I can only imagine something like that uh, being an issue uh, with, with the population that you take care of. Right. And even sometimes we go the opposite end where we think we can do it all. Right. Because I'm a physician and I'm a woman and I want to have a kid. Um, You know, I can remember my daughter was a planned C-section. And so I had her on January 13th. I took call every other night and it wasn't Mm in-house, but call every other night for the first, you know, 11 days of the month to get my call out of the way. So that my colleagues who I was on service with in the hospital wouldn't have to take up my slack. Right. Because I didn't want to be that woman who was saying, I can't take all my call because I'm having a baby. Right. Right. (laughs) So I took call every other night, you know, and didn't sleep every other night for almost two weeks because I didn't want to inconvenience everybody else. And I didn't want them saying, oh, here she is again. And that is for, I think, women who are still in kind of male dominated fields. And even though there are a lot more women going into medicine, you know, than ever, I think there's still that mentality of, you know, if you're a woman in medicine, you're you're in some ways expected to just toughen up or put your family off or, you know, not have kids till later, you know, and those kind of things. So for those of us who do try to go ahead and do it anyway, we might feel that pressure to be superwoman almost, um, you know, to a fault. Mm. Uh, Dr. Nichols, you know, we're, we're getting towards the end. What what would you say, especially kind of dealing with, you know, with, with, with life in general now, you know, you turn on the TV, uh, you turn on social media and all of these stressors. And, and I've actually, I've argued, especially uh, with some of my colleagues that I think it's kind of harder and difficult now, right? Just to be, especially like a kid, right? Uh, where you may have gotten picked on Right. When you're at school. Right. You know, for that eight hours. But at least you go home. You don't really got to hear about it. Whereas now they get picked on and then they get picked on on uh, Snapchat. Then they get picked on on Instagram. And all is this 24 hour cycle 
that uh, that you know a stress that they're dealing with over and over and over again. Um, are are you seeing, especially in the population that you, you know that you've kind of worked with in the past, is, is that becoming much more rampant, or am I just like now noticing it much more? But the mental health issues was just as bad before. No, I think you're absolutely right about we see everything, we know everything. You know, it's it's tougher. It's tougher to escape. You're right with the bullying and the teens. And I 100 percent agree with that. Um, it also, I think, gives us these false, false relationships. Right. Because we have our friends, um, we are our friends who aren't really our friends. And so I do think some of us are so wrapped up in our social media friends that we lose sight of our actual friends. And I think that friendships are important and people need people and solid relationships. And that's something that gets in the way. For my professionals, one of the things I see a lot is uh, we get, uh, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, right? So mm. if I see that my colleague just bought a BMW and then I'm thinking, well, man, what, what's my revenue looking like? How many RVUs, you know, is he, mm. <laughs> you know, does he make more than I do? How does he live in that house? How does he have those things? How does... Um, and you now know everything that you're being left out of, right? Because you can see everybody's posting and, oh, they were all there. I, I didn't go to that meeting. I wasn't invited. How come oh. I didn't? There's all these things that kind of get in the way and you can start that comparison game, which is just dangerous and deadly, um, you know, for anybody. Um, but, you know, we're not immune to it. And our kids see us. Our kids see us. And so they, they're likely to mimic those same uh, behaviors. Right. So once you learn community, I want you to, I want you to listen, right? Understand that uh, just because, you know, your doctor, your lawyer, your, your, your physician, your professor, uh, just because you see them in a high position don't mean that dealing with uh, any type of stress, right? They're not stress-free, you know, the least a bit, right? And again, their stress may be different, right? It may not be uh, a financial issue, even though for some for some, it may be, especially, you know, our physicians who carry like 400000 in loans. Um, but for just to understand that, you know, mental health, of, you know, has uh, no limit, right? Like it affects who it needs to affect. And uh, I think it's important, especially uh, for to people to seek help, right? Again, I'm, we're, I'm big on seeking help and getting people to seek help and understand that whatever stigma you had in the past, like get that pride out the way. I, I can only imagine, especially being uh, in, in dealing with you. the population you deal with. I I know for a fact we're stubborn as hell. We are stubborn as hell. So you probably I, I can only imagine you probably got to explain to them and 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 then really say like earn their trust. Like oh you know what you know what Doctor Nicole knows she's talking about. Okay, I'll, all right, I'll, I'll finally bite after like the second or third session because uh, we're stubborn. We're just you know we're type A most of us and uh, you know we're just we want to be right and we we don't understand if something is wrong that we can't just correct. Like that's usually not something that uh, we, we run into a lot. For, for, for the lunch learning community, before we get you out of here, like what are, what are some things that, you know, you would like to, you know, just kind of say, you know what, if, if you, if you get this, right. If you, if you, for some crazy reason, you weren't listening to the whole episode, right. But you, you know, fast forward to the end, right. Right. What are some takeaways uh, you would like to give the lunch learning community to get to kind of help uh, empower and, you know, and enrich uh, their, their lives, especially when it comes to mental health and uh, seeking uh, treatment. You know, I just remind everybody that mental illness doesn't discriminate. doesn't matter how much money you make, how much education you have. You can still be affected by depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, even 
uh, and even more severe illnesses like that. I will tell you, you know, the medication that we use take time to work. They're not, hey, I take it today and two days later, I feel great. So don't give up, you know, mm-hmm. taking it, keep taking it, do not stop. Um, and, you know, one more thing would be that recognize that being depressed and being anxious can take you off your game and it can stop you from functioning at the highest level. And most of us want to be at our best for our clients, our customers, our patients, our whoever it is that, you know, we're responsible for. We want to be at that highest level and we can't do that if we're not well. And then my last take home that I always remind people uh, is that self-care is not selfish. And sometimes we... I think I, about, I think you might need to you might need to repeat it for the people in the back because this is right. Uh, right. <laughs> self care is not selfish because sometimes, and I think it maybe hits more of the the women in these careers sometimes a little bit more than our male counterparts is that we are already working lots of hours and we you know we we feel like we have limited time for our kids or we feel like we don't have as much time for our kids and spouse as we should. So then we feel guilty. Um, and I know my male colleagues sometimes feel the same way. You feel guilty about taking time away to do something for you because you think, well, I'm already gone this number of hours and, you know, man, I'm so selfish to want to have time to myself, but self-care is not selfish. Um, you know, I think we all need to find ways to, to improve that. Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Dr. Dr. Nicole, uh, tell the luxury community, like, how can they get in touch with you, right? Like someone's listening and someone says, you know what? I may need to talk to Dr. Nicole, right? Like, how can I reach out to touch you? And, like, and, and if you're driving, you're in the shower, you listen to the podcast, I'll make sure uh, all this information that she says will be in the show notes. All right. You can find me at drnicolepsych.com. That is D-R. N-I-C-O-L-E-P-S-Y-C-H dot com. Uh, and the website will give you information about the book. It'll give you information about the psychiatric practice. It can also give you information about how to book me as a speaker or a consultant because I do offer consulting services as well. Absolutely amazing. Dr. Nicole, thank you for uh, enlightening, uh, enlightening our community with uh, just amazing uh you know, thought process on what, obviously, what a psychiatrist is, its importance, uh, mental health, the, these medication misconceptions and everything kind of understand. I think, you know, you hit it out of the ballpark. Well, thank you so much. And I would like to also say that any of your listeners who go to my website to get the book, they will get free shipping. So they just need to enter Dr. Barry, D-R-B-E-R-R-Y at checkout, and they'll get that uh, free shipping. All right, you hear it? Free shipping. I need you to get that book. If you are in my Lunch and Learn uh, Facebook group, I will be giving two copies uh, away. So if you if you have not joined that community, like I would suggest you find a way to join, like like ASAP. Right? I'm giving two copies away this week because uh, again, I was uh, excited uh, when she uh, decided to come on the show, and I want to make sure I show my appreciation for it. Thank you so much. All right, you have a great one. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry. Please head over to lunchlearnpod.com where you'll get the most recent episodes as well as today's show notes for your listening and viewing pleasure. And like always, depending on where you're listening this to, 
please subscribe to the podcast so you can get all the latest episodes sent directly to you. And we are at all of your favorite podcast listening stations, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio. Again, thank you for taking the time to listen and empower yourself to take control of your health. And we'll see you next week.